Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Even with all I know and have learned deep diving into grief, it can still be hard showing up for loved ones who are grieving. So I'm really excited to have discovered Grief Warrior. Sending a Grief Warrior box is a way that friends and loved ones can say, I'm thinking of you and acknowledging your grief. Each box has thoughtfully chosen items, including a journal, anxiety relief essential oil, and so much more. My favorites are the In Morning Badge, letting others know you're in pain without having to say so, and the Ways to Help Notepad, which simplifies asking for help with tasks like laundry or errands without feeling weird for asking for help. The Grief Warrior Box provides healing and comfort, and most importantly, it's a communication from you. Head over to agriefwarrior.com and enter GGG20 for 20% off your purchase of a Grief Warrior Box. Check our show notes for more info on Grief Warrior. Gratitude and Greatness explores our relationship with grief, the gratitude for our humanity, and the greatness we attain when we tell our stories. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. Jen Mizell had an idyllic childhood with loving, supportive parents. As a college student studying abroad in Europe, Jen was drawn to explore her Jewish ancestry. Visiting a concentration camp in Poland, she was horrified by the things she saw and left feeling a weight upon her that she could not shake. The symptoms came next. Doctors would explain what Jen was experiencing as sleep paralysis, but Jen describes it as a living nightmare involving a psychic connection to souls of the dead that had not yet crossed over. She had difficulty breathing. And for two years, she barely slept and was not able to properly digest food. With the support of her parents, she pursued traditional Western therapies that did not work for her, eventually healing by learning how to protect her energy, becoming grounded by working with shamanic energy healers. Jen has gone on to study grief work with Buddhist scholar and environmental activist Joanna Macy. As part of her healing, Jen wrote a sing-along picture book, Yellow Lotus Flower, a story of courage and resilience. It inspires children to embrace the process of transformation, as painful as it may be. I can understand the desire to explore our painful origins. My own family refrained from sharing their experiences of being Jews in Nazi-occupied Europe. Growing up, I glimpsed Tattoos on the arms of my two immigrant uncles. They kept them hidden with long sleeves, and I later came to understand that these were the markings used to identify them when they were living in concentration camps in Eastern Europe. Sometimes, when we learn about our ancestral history, the weight of our discoveries can be too much to bear. What surprised me is how horrific human beings can actually be. Because as you described, I had an idyllic childhood. I couldn't fathom how people could kill each other in such a 
grotesque way. And I saw, you know, I saw the the gas chambers and it definitely blew my world open to some of the other realities on this planet. I was just recently in Rome with my children and we went to visit the Colosseum and I, you know, we went on a tour and I, we learned that you know, the Colosseum was built with the riches of the destruction of this temple in Jerusalem, and it was built by Jews, Jewish slaves. But the other thing we learned, which really hung heavily with my son, I guess I was always aware of this, was that, that you know, people were slaughtered for sport um, in the Colosseum. And my son, who was super stoked about gladiators and being at going to visit this place, was just over it the minute he learned that. He was so disgusted that why are we why are we here? Why are we visiting this place and why are we celebrating this place? It was a really interesting perspective that I don't know that I would have gotten without without seeing it through his eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> the more I learn about history, the more I actually wonder if we are heading in the right direction, honestly, because there have been some really horrific things that have happened in the past like that. Um, but at the same time, there are still really horrific things happening. So I think it is very hard to grapple with. But the way that especially even schools are teaching history, it's still not completely acknowledging all of the pain and suffering. Like, you know, to idealize the the Roman... What, what did you say? Oh, the, like Colosseum. the Colosseum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm actually a teacher, an elementary school teacher. And I think a lot about how we deal with history in the U.S. versus actually how they teach history in Germany, which um, I'm very impressed with, actually. And I think it's a very positive thing that the way that they talk about the Holocaust in Germany. So I, I lived with a German girl years ago. I lived in Paris many, many, many years ago. Took a break from college and I lived with a German girl. Another good friend of mine was a German woman. And, and um, you know, they couldn't understand this idea of um, nationalistic pride. They were, they, I, and I can't remember what the example was exactly, but, you know, just being um, pro-USA. And I think, and they, you know, later I, I come, came to understand that they really scrubbed that idea out of the shame of what happened in Nazi Germany. Like nationalism was not something to be, uh, to be proud of. Yes. And also in German schools, they teach about what happened to Jews at a very young age and how the Nazi party came to rise. And there's memorials all throughout Germany of like the old Jewish quarters and things like that. And in Poland, there was a little bit less of that, but I actually did still get to visit some old Jewish quarters. And I even found like my great grandfather's name written somewhere which was very wow. crazy experience. <laughs> and I had a college friend from Poland and that's who I was staying with there was actually her family is Polish. So I was living and I, I celebrated Christmas with her family. And then during the day, I would go take these trips to, to the um, Jewish cemeteries and the Jewish headquarters and to the concentration camps. 
Incredible. Yeah. What, what did it feel like to see like your grandfather's name written? Well, it's pretty wild. It's so my, I believe it's my great, great grandfather or great grand uncle. Okay. I have to double check on that. Was actually the grand rabbi of Poland. His last name is Mizell and was a very deeply religious man. And what I learned is that his children, when they escaped Poland and the pogroms, came to this country and basically dropped Judaism. Mm -hmm. They were part of the camp. A lot of people deal with trauma differently. And some Jews, what I've, what I've come to learn over the past 10 years of my own ancestral healing journey is that my family line lineage was of the Jews who thought it was safest to completely assimilate and drop Judaism and actually kind of believe in atheism and that Judaism and religion in general was going to die out. And so <laughs> they came from being uh, very religious, um, actually in spiritual leadership in Poland, to coming to New York through Ellis Island to the U.S. and not really carrying forward Judaism in in very significant ways. My my great grandparents and grandparents still carried on Judaism culturally, but not spiritually, and didn't really pass on the rites of passage, the bar and bat mitzvah. So it sort of the Judaism lessened in my family through each generation until it got to me and it was highly watered down. Yeah. Um, but I had a yearning to understand it more. But you got something that you didn't expect while you were there. Well, you yes. you took some or you took something away that you didn't expect. I was very young and starry-eyed and wanted to save the world. And I just saw the immensity of the suffering and really opened my heart and my energy and my spirit to... I just made a prayer, please help me be a vessel to, so that this never happens again, whatever that means. Um, but what I ended up taking home with me were what I perceived as souls that had never crossed over since that time. And yeah, I started hearing voices, feeling suffocated in my sleep, hearing screaming. I was like living in a nightmare that I had no clue. I didn't have any reference for. I had no clue how that had happened or what it meant or what to do about it because it was actually completely not in my control at that point. And you were back, back home at this point? I was back home at a uh, university in St. Louis, Missouri. And I really isolated myself because I was around people partying and taking tests. And I was on a totally different wavelength. <laughs> wow. I was going through my own journey and I did not have a lot of people to relate to about it. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness. Have you told your friends about us yet? Word of mouth is an important way for us to reach more listeners. So spread the word and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. What drew you to shamanic energy work? 
And how did it help you? Well, it was actually quite magical what happened. I was sensing that I had spirits sort of attaching themselves to me, but I didn't have understanding or language about it. And I happened to get a pamphlet for this um, institute up in the Northeast, Kerpalo. And I opened to it and I saw this introduction to shamanic energy healing with the Four Winds Society. And it was like 500 bucks for the weekend or something. And it talked about um, shamanic practice and what happens when you have entities and energy attachments and if you're feeling spirits and whatever the description said, it felt like it matched exactly what was happening to me. And But I wrote it off. I said, ah, I'm just out of college. I don't have that much extra money. That day, I got a check in the mail from my past employer at a wedding catering service there was some kind of lawsuit and the check was for $500. Get out. The exact amount I needed to attend that workshop. And I was like, you know what? I do listen to signs. I think that that was a clear one. (laughs) It sounds like it. Yeah. So I I did indeed attend that workshop and I I was crying the whole weekend because I, I knew this is what I need. And after that, I... I basically came out to my parents. I shared my suffering of what I was going through. And they they really believed me, even though they didn't understand. I told them, this is what I need in order to get better. And so they supported me financially in going through this year and a half long shamanic energy healing training. I didn't I never planned to learn shamanic energy healing but I actually needed to and I felt like in order to survive actually. So in college you were studying environmental studies. So what does this energy work look like? Well, the particular lineage that I learned through was um is from Peru from the Quechuan people of Peru and it works a lot with stones. There's a, a mesa And you use shamanic energy healing stones to move energy through the body. There's also practices to cutting cords. Dealing with ancestral trauma was a big part of it too. Yeah. And there were different stages of the healing work. So in order to to learn, you had to go through your own healing. And every workshop was a week long and you went through a direction in the medicine wheel starting in the south. And then um, in the time in between, I would do fire ceremonies and practice um, this energy work on both myself and other people. So in this year and a half, did you have time for other things or was this pretty much immersive? I was still struggling immensely. So I wasn't actually able to function in society. I tried having a job for a couple months. It was very hard. So I ended up woofing, traveling around, working on farms. But that was literally just because I couldn't think of anything else to do. (laughs) Um, So I was just trying to stay alive. And part of it to my healing was reconnecting to the earth because I felt very ungrounded. Mm. And so just working with my hands in the dirt was part of my healing process too. And in addition to that, was learning more about nutrition. So it was sort of like a three-pronged approach. It was energy work, 
earth connection and dietary change. It was like um, a spiral or a, a complete hole that it wouldn't have worked if I had left out any one of those pieces. And that's something they taught you or, or was some of that just intuitive? It was very intuitive. Yeah. I had one teacher in particular who was really tracking me the whole time. She was wonderful and really there for me and taught me a lot. And she helped me. Um, but it was numerous people along the way because I was traveling around kind of in uh, angst, just trying to mm. find where I could feel at home, where I could feel in my body. And I went from California to Hawaii to New Mexico, back to New York. Yeah, nowhere felt safe. So I kept moving. No matter where I went, I was having sleep paralysis every night, which would be like this suffocating feeling in my chest where I couldn't wake up from a nightmare. And, you know, in many cultures, they call it the devil sitting on your chest. It was terrifying. And no matter what I did or where I went, it would come back. So I don't know why I didn't just stay in one place, but that wasn't what I was able to do. Hmm. Something else you said, it made me think about like the healing of working with the earth. I think it's often been said that one of the best places to be when you're grieving is in nature. Nature holds all these lessons about, you know, the cycle of life and so on. There is something so healing about literally having your fingers in the dirt and like garden. I don't know what it is about gardening, but... Oh, absolutely. I mean, nature does the work for you if you just lie down in the dirt. I, I really believe that just the simplicity of being surrounded by earth and trees and the soil is extremely healing. And that was definitely true for me. But it took time. You know, it, it really took, I would say, two whole years to bring me fully back into my body. It took about two years. Was there any like magic bullet that or was it just this patient? I mean, did you get kind of to this other side and just go, oh my gosh, it worked? There was no magic moment. It was years. And I would say two years was the thick of the suffering, but my healing process, as far as my digestive system and feeling grounded and trusting of my body and my ability to navigate the the physical world and the energy world took many years, like five, to feel trust in again. And it was just a slow coming back to earth process. I perceive it now as sort of a, a dark night of the soul or a initiation that I went through that, you know, in if I were growing up in an indigenous culture, you know, in past times or even in present times, that it could have been a facilitated initiation, but because I'm in a culture that doesn't have those guides and I didn't have, you know, a mentor around shamanic energy healing that was there for me that whole way, mm -hmm. that it ended up being really difficult and lonely. Um, but I, I do see it now as an initiation of some kind. It's especially interesting to me because we were just talking about like this idea of like having a bat mitzvah you know, which right. some, for Jews, I mean, that's somewhat of this initiation. It's a very intellectual initiation, yes. but it is a, a Jewish rite of passage.
We're curious to hear from our listeners. Do you have thoughts or reactions to something you heard in this episode? Or maybe you have an idea for grief, gratitude, and greatness and would like to share some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Links to contact us can be found in all the usual places or check the show notes. You're investigating Judaism in this new way. It's been a huge part of my life for the last four or five years. I actually met my fiance through this work. And um, I'm particularly connected to this organization called Wilderness Torah in the Bay Area. And it's all about remembering and reliving the earth-based roots of Judaism. And Judaism has been a nomadic, not land-based culture for so long, yet so many of its traditions are all about the cycles of nature and of growing the wheat and the barley and the harvest festival. So it's about sort of reclaiming the indigenous roots of Judaism. And it speaks very deeply to me in my heart. It's extremely integrating because I went on this quest to understand my Judaism. And I also ended up in shamanic practice through an indigenous culture that you know, is not in my blood lineage, which is the Quechuan of Peru. And so this work now of doing um, indigenous Jewish practice is extremely healing and integrating and very exciting to me too, because I think that it's um, sort of a new frontier of what Judaism and I hope all religions can be, which is really about earth connection, spirit connection, and also interfaith um, practice. The festival that I met my fiance at is called Passover in the Desert. And we actually relive the story of Passover when the, the Jewish slaves were freed from Egypt. So we do a overnight quest out in the desert for a night in um, Panamint Valley mm -hmm. in California and take some nature reflection time and then come back in and there's a sacred fire. People are around the fire praying, giving offerings. There's space for grief. There's space for prayer. And then there's Shabbat services. There's a lot of music a lot of ritual with the wine and the candles. That's very traditional to all Jewish practice. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's a focus on physically embodying the stories rather than just talking about them. That's pretty cool. How, so how many people yeah. would attend this event? A couple hundred. No kidding. Yeah. I haven't been back since I met my fiance there, but we're going to go back this year right after our wedding, actually. It's going to be like our little honeymoon. <laughs> Mazel tov. Thank you. <laughs> it's kind of funny. That's what we want to do, but I really do. <laughs> that's pretty cool. A lot of this work that you've done too, you you gotten to know and worked with Joanna Macy too. That's been a whole another learning track of mine for the last six years or so. And Joanna Macy is a incredible elder of mine. She lives in Berkeley, um, right near where I live. And I was drawn to her work because it incorporates both grief and activism and looking at what's happening on our planet mm -hmm. and how that relates to our emotional realities and using our strong emotions to actually fuel our work in the world rather than it feel like we have to push it down or push it away. 
And so given all the things that I had been through, I was really starting to just understand how both the emotional and the spiritual aspects of healing affect the physical realm. And and I'm also very passionate about environmental activism and climate justice and a lot of different um, areas of work happening out there in the world. So what does that look like? So what does this work look like? There are a, a series of practices and you go through a spiral beginning in gratitude and then there's practices for honoring our pain for the world Mm-hmm. And from those practices, we go into seeing with new eyes, understanding ourselves as part of the larger body of earth. And then finally, the last stage of the work is called going forth. And that's about actually the actions that we take in our lives. Mm. An example of a practice that we do is called the Council of All Beings. And it's where people dress up as other than human beings and actually come to sit in a council and speak. Let those animals, plants, mountains speak through us and hear what they have to say. Wait a minute. So you're dressing up like nature? <laughs> yes. How, yeah. Like- if I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Fifth Sacred Thing by Starhawk. No. It's also a wonderful visionary book, but in that book, she also has... I mean, this might to some people sound like very hippy-dippy stuff, Uh but to me, it's actually very radical because what we're doing on the planet right now is valuing humans above every other life form and it's killing our planet. Mm. So this is, you know, taking a step back from our human ego and actually trying to step into the shoes of another life form. So I'm really curious about how this leads into this this book that you wrote for children. Yeah, so all throughout this whole process, I've been playing music. I learned that I loved to write songs when I was about 19 in college. So right around the time that this all started. And throughout this whole experience, I was writing music to help me process both the pain and the growth and the learning, both on a personal level, but also on the global level. And that's what I love to do with my art is to actually transform personal experience into universal experience. And I really feel like that's what this children's book, Yellow Lotus Flower, does Mm -hmm. is it took like my very personal experience of going through a really dark time in my life and turned it into a an experience that everybody can relate to through this children's book. And at first it wasn't for kids. It was just a song, Mm -hmm. but I put it on an album and some of my friends with kids were telling me, you know, my daughter is singing the whole song. Like she's memorized it. And I thought, hmm, well, it kind of has really beautiful imagery. Maybe I should make it a children's book. And so the idea sparked and it just stuck. And I found an illustrator. We worked on it for five years together. Wow. And it just came out this December. Oh, man. That is so beautiful. Is a recording available with the book? Yeah. So the recording is online on my website, on Spotify, on iTunes, YouTube. Mm -hmm. So you can just play the song off of any device. 
and through then those listen, avenues and, then, and, then and read along. Yeah. And then there's also music chords in the back of the book if you want to play guitar or piano along and actually learn how to play the song yourself. I'm wondering how much music was a part of your healing too during that dark period. Were you writing music? Yes, it too? definitely was. Yes. It's music has always been a way for me to lift up my suffering. Every time I write a song, I play it over and over again. It just helps heal my heart. So music has definitely been a part of that. And stories too. I love storytelling through music. The next children's book I want to write is somebody else's story actually. And it's a really fantastic one. So I'm excited to tell it. It's another children's sing-along book, but it's the kind of children's book that adults will really like too. Same with Yellow Lotus Flower. Like I have plenty of adult friends who don't have kids who have the book and have told me they've cried from it. And it's very much about the healing journey. All of the suffering I went through during my early 20s, I really don't regret it. As difficult as it was, it's actually made me into a new person. And I'm extremely grateful from those for those experiences. My going through my own personal healing journey has made me more available for being present for the suffering of the world and also for doing activist work and getting involved in my community because I'm I'm so relating the own the personal struggle I had with the sort of planetary rite of passage I think we're going through right mm-hmm. now and that's how I try to look at what's going on in our world. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn and me, Sarah Shaul. The music was by Samantha Jensen. Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share or topics you'd like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. Call or text our show at 503-454-6646 or send us a message via the contact link at grief gratitudegreatness.com Be sure to let your friends know about us and join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.